let's descend the podcast into a bit of chaos. More chaos. More chaos. That electric moment when a ball hits the back of the net. Unbelievable game. Two great teams going at it. Compared to the other three beside him, he just looks like the new cafe or something. We are making a documentary about how shit our club is. <laughs> VR is bullshit. Who is the biggest cheater in football tonight? Harry Kane, without a fucking doubt. Without a fucking doubt. Good evening. Welcome back to another Thursday Night Bubble. It's Darth Mud, as you can probably tell, hosting the show for second week in a row, which is quite bizarre, to be honest. Um, they actually let me do another one. But anyway, here I am. I am joined tonight by another debutant on the Thursday Night Bubble. He's breaking his, his virginity on TNB tonight. Um, the very bold... Now I know you're going. To, I know you're thinking I'm going to say Steve, but it's actually not. It's the return of Mister Brian Patrick Renshaw. Patrick, how are you? Pa? I'm good, thanks, Sherry. Good, good, good to be doing a bit of babble to pop my my Thursday night cherry. You. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good. It's good to have you on, Pat. You know, you haven't been you haven't been on the babble at all in a while, so we've we'll, we'll missed you. It's, it's good to be back. I think well, my my uh, my absence has sort of coincided with Mo Salah's kind of most interesting form of his career. So maybe I should just stay the fuck away from this thing. Mm, yes, it it is quite strange whenever um, you're given Mo Salah praise, uh, but you know, I suppose long may continue. Uh, what you and Phil would say, I suppose. So yeah, um, Mo Salah's in great uh, great run of form. Um, we're not going to chat about him too much tonight. Uh, I think it might pain you too much to talk about Mo Salah tonight, Pat, and have to give him some some credit. But uh, yes, Phil, Phil is um, occupied this evening. If anyone's wondering, it is his um, his darling wife's birthday, so he is excused, I suppose. I suppose for this week, um, but he should be back next week, all being well. Um, we've plenty to talk about tonight. Uh, there. Is obviously the return of Patrick Vieira to Arsenal. Uh, we'll talk about Man United. We are going to talk about Posh at PSG. Um, just briefly. We're not going to go too in depth into it, but we will mention it. Uh, we're going to talk a wee bit about Diego Simeone Atletico. And we're going to give a wee mention to the Super League because it, it has been coming out of the shadows this week and there has been talk of it again. And of course, we are going to talk about the inevitable Newcastle United sacking Steve Bruce and who may come in to replace him. But anyway, we'll kick off tonight. Uh, we'll chat about my beloved Arsenal. They were in action on Monday evening against Crystal Palace, managed by former Arsenal captain Patrick Vieira. Palace look decent on the Vieira path. I don't know if you've seen any of the game or seen the highlights, but they were quite good. Bar 15 minutes at the start. Uh, they went 1-0 down, and then, I mean, I can honestly say Crystal Palace would probably have come out of that game very disappointed that they didn't come away with all three points. Yes, it sounds, sounded like it. sounded like, um, you know, they had, they had the best of the play, and I sort of caught the last half hour on on the radio, um, and obviously Arsenal were 
maybe fortunate enough to to get a late equaliser. But I got to say, Palace have surprised me this season. I thought, you know, there was a lot of flux in the Palace squad. There was a lot of players out of contract. They had to bring players in. I thought with Vieira coming in, he might really struggle, kind of the way Frank De Boer struggled there. You know, someone who, albeit he's experienced in the league, but just not as a manager. Um, but he's, he's he's proven me wrong. They've had some very good results. You know, you know, beating Spurs. Um, you know, they've drawn against West Ham and Palace, who who are decent sides, and, and even against or West Ham and Brighton, sorry, and even against uh, Leicester as well. So they've done very well because. From what I remember of Vieira at Nice, who, who are a club that have decent financial backing, they're owned by a very wealthy gentleman who also owns Team Ineos Cycling. Um, he didn't do great, and he was sacked. Um, so, yeah, it must be hard for you, Jetty, to see probably one of your most favourite play- Arsenal players ever, I imagine, coming back, and maybe you wish he was in your dugout rather than Mr Arqueta. How do you feel? Well, yeah, I think it was Phil mentioned that on... Tuesday morning after the game that perhaps Palace and Arsenal have got um, the wrong managers. <laughs> um, yeah, obviously I, I still think at some stage in the future Patrick Vieira will be given a chance at Arsenal. Um, but it seems like Vieira's got Palace playing the sort of football that probably Arsenal will want to be playing. And they, they look organised and I mean, there's a there's a few times on Monday they they basically could have caught us out on the counter. Um, I think Monday evening was probably Arsenal's worst defensive display with Ben White and Gabriel and the team. They were they were shocking. Um, two two sloppy goals they gave away. It was just it was very frustrating watching it. Um, especially the second goal, I was kind of screaming at Ben White like show him on his left foot, do something. He just kind of backed off and backed off and it was a great great finish by Edward um, and to be quite honest I missed the equaliser because <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I thought Pallas had got a goal kick and I was like well fuck this so I turned it off <laughs> and oh, no. uh, went on the Twitter and was all like saying we got away with one there and I was like what the fucking hell are these people on about we got away with one we got beat 2-1 and then I seen like the Arsenal Twitter page I put up black as I scored an equaliser. Um, I mean the the only sort of positive you can kind of take from Monday evening is the fact that we kept an unbeaten run going. Uh, bar that Arsenal have been poor. They were poor against Palace. Bar the first ten fifteen minutes, they were poor against Brighton and very lucky to come away with the draw. And in all honesty, they were extremely poor against Tottenham in the second half of that game. Like. Arsenal scored three goals, and after that, there was nothing. You know, it was just basically all Tottenham. Now, granted, Tottenham didn't really do much, but you know, we we give Tottenham opportunities, which they didn't take. They took one of them, obviously, but we we that game could have finished um, a lot differently. It it is worrying to see Arsenal be so. I don't know. They're they're not going for. They don't have that killer instinct. You know, they go one 0 up and then they just try and defend what they have. And I mean, we scored within 15 minutes. You know, that's a long time to defend the one 0 lead. And it's 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 just become a common theme under Mikel Arteta, and it's it's really annoying. Now, I I don't know if you've seen the replay of it. I'm assuming you have, but MacArthur should have been sent off for Crystal Palace. I mean, that was that was just blatant assault. On Bakayo Saka and Mike Dean is just an absolute disgrace of a referee. Like 
and he's just one of these guys who thinks he's a celebrity because he's a Premier League referee. I mean, when you look at the replay, the more you watch it, the worse it gets. He actually just booted him. Like, he was nowhere near the ball. His eyes weren't even on the ball. He just boots Saka in the back of the legs. And I'm just like, how he stayed on the pitch for that's unbelievable. Like, and I know it's, I've said it so many times before, I'm going to say it again. But if that was Granit Xhaka, the man would have been sent off and probably banned for five games. Do you know? Like, I, I don't know. Did you see it pop the tackle on Saka? I have seen it, yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty blatant, like, and you're right, probably if it was Zaka. Shaki might get banned for five games, although maybe that's not a bad thing. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. And Mike Dean is one of these boys who courts celebrity, like he was a guest in Peter Crouch's podcast. Like, what, what, what referee goes on a, on a football podcast? Like, it was very bizarre. Um, I didn't know that. So, yeah. I'll not listen to that one now. <laughs> uh, no, I'd advise you to stay away. Um, so yeah, and it probably changed, you know would have changed the game. You know, if Arsenal were playing at home against ten men, you'd you'd fancy them to go and trample all over Palace. So um, it obviously had a big big burn on the game. And you know, at Arsenal are they're soft. Like you know, they're a soft team, and they've been soft for years. They've probably been soft since the likes of Vieira left as a player. Um, you know, they're known as like weak um, from other other teams um, supporters. Just think they're soft, a bit like Spurs. Um, and yes, they've got some really nice nice players and stuff. Like the likes of Smith Rowe and Odegaard are very technically sound and beautiful to watch, but just seems there's a real lack of steel um, that's going to get them out of holes. So I don't know. Like, how, how do you feel watching that team? Like, is it something you think could you know could develop? You know, because they have spent money. There are some decent players there, or do you think it needs a whole rewrite? Uh, new system, new manager, like how far are Arsenal away from, say for example, qual- champ- or Champions League qualification? How many players are they away? I mean, they're they're very far away from, from Champions League, there, there's no doubt. Um, you see, we, we won the FA Cup and I thought that would be a springboard in the next season that we would kick on and, and do something with the season, but we didn't and I kind of feel that win now after the win against Spurs. Thought, right, this is going to kickstart our season. Big win against our big rivals. Let's go. We played Brighton and we're, we're very poor. Now, some people have put it down to Thomas Party having too much to do in midfield. Um, he misses Granite Xhaka there. Uh, I mean, you can't really blame it on one player being missing. Yes, obviously, some players are a big loss. In my opinion, Granite Xhaka is not a massive loss to Arsenal, but... Um, I think that there's issues throughout. Do you know, like, I, I kind of, I've thought for a while that Arteta's probably not the guy to bring us to where we, we want to be. And I know about a year or so ago, like, a few people, and like, even I think Phil said himself that, you know, Arteta has promised, you know, potential to be a great coach and it could be quite exciting what he does with Arsenal. But, you know, seeing, I don't think Arsenal have a plan. That's the thing. You know, you could clearly see Palace, for example, had a game plan. And we don't know what Arteta's plan is, what his style is. It's just really frustrating to watch them because, you know, you can see what that team can do. The blue taught them away within a half hour of the Emirates. But then, you know, we go out to the likes of Brighton and we go and play Palace at home and struggle. Now, they're playing tomorrow night again. Very quick turnaround, I suppose. You know, playing on Monday night and playing on Friday again. And they're playing Aston Villa tomorrow night, and that's at the Emirates as well, I believe. That's not going to be an easy game. You know, there has been a bit of 
I wouldn't say a rivalry, but a bit of bitterness between Arsenal and, and Villa over this last year, especially with Henry Martinez going there, uh, the whole Bundia saga. You know, they tried to get Smith Rowe, they put in three bids for him, you know, and you know, we, we get, ended up getting them signed a new contract. And that'll be a very tough game for Arsenal tomorrow night. And if Arsenal play the way they did on Monday, Villa will trample us, absolutely destroy us. It is quite worrying, so I'm really hoping that the Arsenal that showed up for the half hour against Tottenham in the first half a few weeks ago show up and just absolutely bother Villa, and we can get three points because every point's vital. We can see that, you know, you can see when Una Emery first took over at Arsenal, we finished a point outside of the top four, and there were games that we drew and lost that we really shouldn't have, and that cost Arsenal Champions League spot. Tennessee being back in there. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, it is frustrating. Like, and like I said, Pat, they are a wee bit soft, but referees definitely let things go against Arsenal, which maybe they wouldn't against other teams, but, you know, it is the way it is. You can't just sit there and blame everything on the referees all the time because at the end of the day, we weren't good enough on Monday. And if we play like that, like I said, we will get battered tomorrow night. So hopefully they do show up. Um, but anyway. I think we talked enough about Arsenal, so we'll move past them for now. Um, we're going to talk about a topic that I think we will both enjoy. Um, I know even Steve would probably, <laughs> would probably enjoy this. Uh, we're going to talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Manchester United. Um, now, initially, before the game last night, I was kind of thinking what we'll chat about on Thursday Night Battle. And I was going to talk about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But then Manchester United were 2-0 down last night. Came back and won 3-2. Ronaldo scoring the winning goal, you know, doing it again, the Champions League. You know, it, it's his competition. It's what he does. But at the weekend, Gary Neville came out and defended Solskjaer. Basically saying that he won't criticise him, won't call for him to get the sack. Pretty much because he's a former teammate of his and he's a mate. Do you find that sort of strange, like... Yes, I understand he was a teammate. They were part of a very successful Manchester United team, but you know he's a pundit now. He's a paid pundit. He's there to give his opinion, and you know you kind of have to say it how it is. And he just really isn't now. Admittedly, he did say Solskjaer is under pressure, but you think you would expect more from Neville to be in his club. And at the end of the day, mates or not, Manchester United have been haven't really been performing under Solskjaer. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one to be in Neville's position there, like, um, you know, being his friend, someone he probably played for United with for the best part of a decade. It's difficult, and it's something pundits probably try to stay away from, is is saying that people should get sacked. Um, you don't often hear them come out and say, this this person or this person needs sacked, because, you know, it, it puts them in the spotlight. Next thing they know... So sure doing Monday night football with them and they're in an awkward position or, or, or whoever they make those comments about. So I think Neville kind of toes, toes the party line that all the United, ex United boys really go for. I know Scholes was a miserable get last night and was getting off about the play, but I don't think he ever actually said about sacking Solskjaer. Um, so I, I think, I think there's probably a bit of an unwritten sort of code of honor there. Like don't, don't, don't slag off your mate, but, um, I suppose it's telling enough that, that Neville, Acknowledges that he's under pressure, and you know there was such a feel-good factor around United, um, which was absolutely sickening. There, 
Discord. It's, you know, from what I understand, Leicester more than deserved a, a two-goal margin to win by. It could have been more. So, you know, it's tough. Like, it was, that was big for United to come back last night. And I actually watched the second half of that game. And just defeating within a minute or two, I remember texting in a couple of groups saying, I think United will win this game. I'm surprised they don't. Because you could just feel it. It felt like kind of that crackling Old Trafford atmosphere, which... You know, it doesn't happen that often, but it, they were nearly sucking the ball into the net. Mm-hmm. And Ronaldo's header was absolutely incredible. Like, um, it was a, it was a good ball in by Shaw, but there was still a lot of work to be done. And there's just no player in the world nearly past or present you would rather have on the end of a, a cross like that. Like, that's 135 Champions League goals or something mental like that. Like, it is absolutely insane. I probably haven't scored 135 goals in five aside in the last ten years. Like the guy is a, the guy's a freak, and yeah. you know I know Steve's talked about it on the pod, and so have others. You know, it's a quandary. It's you know Ronaldo. Ronaldo is an incredible player, and he's the best player at United. But he might maybe isn't necessarily in their best eleven because you know it's it's you're nearly car- carrying someone because he's not going to track back. I did notice he had a couple of very important clearing headers towards the end of that game, which was you know admirable, but. Like as a as a Liverpool fan going into the weekend playing United, if if they play if they play Fred McTominay in midfield and um you know play whoever they'll probably have to drop drop Pogba to accommodate that. Mm-hmm. I just I, th- I think we have a better team. Like other than other than possibly Fernandez, I don't know if I would take any of those United players. Maybe Ronaldo. Ronaldo and Fernandez, they're maybe the only two United players I would take over any players we have. Um, and yes, we could go and get slapped at Old Trafford because Solskjaer has pulled results out of the bag over the years. Like He, he has the complete wood on Pep Guardiola. Like he, they have a couple of really big results against City uh, in particular. So it'll be, it'll be tough. Uh, if it goes on form, we should absolutely hose them. But, you know... Sometimes games like this rarely do. There's been a few very turgid games between us and United in recent years. A few goalless, goalless draws and things. But I was looking at some stats earlier on. Like Liverpool have scored at least three in every away game this season or something crazy like that. And United haven't kept a clean sheet at home. Or this is the longest run that United haven't kept a clean sheet at home since like the 1950s. So like it, it would kind of suggest, you know, uh, suggest a Liverpool win. But... It'll be a fascinating game. I think that was a massive result for Solskjaer. If he gets any sort of results against Liverpool, you know, there'll, there'll be enough goodwill in the bank to keep him through maybe to Christmas, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> it's it's the biggest game in English football is Liverpool against Manchester United. Um, I'm just mentioning Manchester United's defence. Um, it, it kind of bugged Brenton that Paul's goals kind of uh, ripped into Chelsea's defence, but He's already discussed that, so we'll lock it into that anyway. Um, what what I just find interesting about United is that they've brought in United, they've brought in sorry Ronaldo, and it was clearly out of spite, just so said he couldn't get him. But I mean, United seem to have been building a decent squad there, and you know they're bringing in the likes of Jadon Sancho and you know the Marcus Rashford and Greenwood and so on. Uh, but they've brought in Ronaldo, who basically they're going to have to try and change their entire system just to fit him into the team. And, you know, he's only going to be there 
a few years, like two years, maybe three years at most, and to change your entire system to fit one guy, I mean, yes, he's one of the greatest players to ever play the game, but I mean, is it really worth it long term to change everything you're doing just to fit in Ronaldo? You know, Jaden Sancho hasn't scored or assisted a goal for United yet in any competition. Uh, yeah. Now, Nicolas Pepe got dogs abuse when he arrived at Arsenal for the price tag he did. Pepe finished his first season with Arsenal with a combined 16 goals and assists, which you know was all right, I suppose, but you kind of expect more for a guy who came in for over 70 million. Um, I think Sancho's kind of went under the lights, and I think Phil did mention him on the um, Monday Night podcast that he probably will come good, and he probably will. You know, he's he's a great player. Um, I didn't really want to see him go to United, but he's there. Regards to Sunday. I mean, if you were a batting man, you're you're putting your money on Liverpool. They've been in absolutely fantastic form. Mo Salah has been, without a doubt, the best player in the world. You know, probably this season, he's been exceptional. Some of the goals he scored are just absolutely insane. Um, and Patrick, you obviously haven't been on the pod in a couple of weeks. You know, obviously been busy and things, and you haven't really got to talk about Liverpool or Mo Salah, and. I suppose this is a good time to sort of ask you, and I know we said we wouldn't focus on too much, I and mean, we not, but it's a good time to ask you, to, what's, what is your opinion of Mo Salah now? You know, I mean, the goal he scored against, um, against City, the goal he scored against Watford, even last night he scored, or sorry, the night before he scored against Atletico, which by the way, that was, an, that was a mad game, um, Atletico against Liverpool. Uh, what, what, what have your feelings been on Liverpool over the last month, and particularly Mo Salah? Yeah, Liverpool have been have been pretty good. Um, you know, they've they're keeping pace with with Chelsea and City, and you know we've we've, we've played some some difficult games uh, as well in our in our first eight. Um, whereas I think United have I think United are playing kind of five of the top six in the next in the next month and a half or something. You know, so they're getting a tough run. But Liverpool have been very good. Sal has been in the absolute form of his life, and I can't disagree with the fact that he's probably on form the best player. In the world, you know, him and probably Lewandowski are are both kind of just in incredible form. I, I never doubted that Salah has moments of magic. I think I've always, I've always been probably far too harsh on Salah in terms of that he can be very, very greedy and sometimes he's a touch of an Irish league player um, and the vision of Stevie Wonder. But everything seems to have crystallised a little bit in the last few months. He's lifting his head. He's bringing people in. He's a bit less selfish, and you saw like the assist he made for Mane's goal against Watford was absolute filth. Like it was incredible pass, um, and he just seems to be operating on a different planet. Danny Rose, I actually felt sorry for the lad. It was it was like it was kind of like a a grown man going up against like an under seven or something. He just didn't stand a chance. It was like he was playing a different sport, um, and even if you even if you allowed Danny Rose to actually rugby tackle Salah, he still wouldn't even have got close enough to touch him. Um, so it was an incredible, an incredible roasting of of Danny Rose. I'm, I'm sure you're happy enough for that to see an ex Spurs guy get destroyed. But um, no, Liverpool have been good. But Liverpool have conceded a lot of chances. You know, they conceded three against Brentford. They conceded another two last night. I would actually worry that if um, and Rashford has come back in the last last couple of games, scored against Leicester, scored last night. I would worry if Rashford starts because um, he seems to have something over over Trent. Trent does struggle against them. 
And with our fullbacks probably being quite high and our whole defensive line being quite high, there's going to be space in behind us. And that space that Ronaldo's not necessarily going to run into because Van Dijk could probably outrun Ronaldo now. But Rashford offers that real threat. If he's going to run in behind and push the line back, it might give the likes of Ronaldo and Fernandez more space. I think United have all the tools to hurt us. If they if they have a front four of Bruno, Rashford, Greenwood, um, and Ronaldo, you know that is incredible. Um, I think Greenwood is a, an outstanding player. So, you know, they definitely have the tools to hurt us. But we just seem to have a really good balance about Liverpool at the moment. Um, you know, everything just seems to be working quite well. We have probably the best attacking right back in world football, arguably the best attacking left back in world football as well. Um, you know, and they're supplying so much to to the front three. So it's been good. Salah, as I said, has been incredible. Uh, long may it continue, um, and and we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on there. United, if Oli has any brain cells in that head of his, will target Trent Alexander Arnold, and it's not because Trent's a bad footballer. He obviously is not. I mean, I don't think I've seen a man ping a ball so well since David Beckham. Um, it's just that Trent loves to get forward, and I think teams have quickly sussed that out, that there's space there. Um, and I reckon Rashford will start on Sunday. I reckon he will play down the left, and I imagine him and Ronaldo will occupy that area. Uh, it might stop Trent getting forward, which, you know, is... Not great for Liverpool, but if the, if he has to do a job in one game, I think he needs to do that. Mo Salah is more than good enough to give Fatboy Shaw uh, a lot of trouble <laughs> on Sunday. So I mean, it, it it will be a difficult game. There's no doubt. I think it'll be it'll be closer than what a lot of people think. Um, yeah. But I I still think Liverpool will come out with a victory, whether that be two one three one whatever. But um. Oli seems to set up very defensively against the so-called bigger teams against Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and try and hit them on the break. It's it works for him. Um, I didn't catch that. Oh, sorry, my Apple Watch just looking to get involved here in, in the conversation. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's Oli's that's his tactic against the big teams. That's why he always has Pep's number because Pep just bombs everybody forward. Now, personally, I think. Jurgen Klopp's best manager in the world at the minute. Um, I really like him, and I would love him to have been an Arsenal manager, but he's not. He's a his manager. Um, I like Klopp for a lot of reasons. Particularly, I like him as a human being for the, for his values and his morals. Um, he's just a real nice bloke, and you know I'm very proud to have Jurgen Klopp as my my football team's um, as coach. But I, th- I think it's going to be a really good game. I'm actually looking forward to watching it. Uh, and to be honest, like I hope United. Well, you see, it's very hard because you know if United win, that means Oli stays in his job for a while longer. If United get absolutely slapped on Sunday, I mean, United are under a lot of pressure to make a decision on the goal of Solskjaer. Is he is he the guy to take them forward? I don't think so. If if Solskjaer loses badly on Sunday, he could be gone. But I think at the end of the day. If he does get a victory, I think the important thing with Solskjaer this year is he has to win something. Whether that be FA Cup, whatever, he needs to win something. Because that's what Manchester United are historically about. They win trophies, and they haven't really been doing well for years. But, um, 
enough about Man United anyway. We'll kind of stick with Liverpool in a way. So the other nights in Madrid, Diego Simeone, when the full-time whistle went, ran down the tunnel and didn't shake Jurgen Klopp's hand. Is that, or was that, a bit disrespectful to Klopp, to Liverpool? You know, I didn't see the entire game. I just seen bits and pieces. Now, Phil wrote into our WhatsApp group that he was up laughing all night at the fact that Atletico didn't get a penalty. Um, now, I didn't see this incident. I don't know anything about it. You can maybe shed light on that, but what do you think about Simeone's actions? Do you think it's disrespectful, or do you think, similar to Steve, that it, it's fine, like, it's all part of football, it's just part of the, you know, the rivalry, or, you know, the hatred between clubs? Like, what what do you think about that? I think Simeone is probably the most competitive football manager around. Like, he's like a bloody gladiator. Um and I think he gets pretty caught up in the emotion of it all. I, I don't think he was trying to send any... Well, personally, I don't think he was trying to send any particular message to Klopp because I don't think they even had a disagreement on the sideline during the game. He was probably just absolutely fuming. Um, but obviously, it's made, made headlines. And Klopp kind of waved the finger at him and said it wasn't right. He, of course, he should have sh- sh- uh, shaken Klopp's hand. But, um, you know, Simeone is, is an absolute... He is the biggest shithouse. Like, um, like he's on the side whipping up the crowd all the time. He has obviously drilled the Atletico players to constantly break the referee asking for cards. It's so noticeable how they surround a referee, and that comes straight from the Dark Lord himself. They, they are, if they were in Harry Potter, every single Atletico player, once they put the sorting hat on, would shout Slytherin immediately because they're all evil bastards. Because, well, hang on here, know, hang on here, Pat. Now, I have done the sorting hats on uh, Pottermore's website, and I was putting Slytherin. So, I mean, am I an evil bastard? Or <laughs> yeah, well, I am an evil bastard. There's no doubt about that. But um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, you, you def, definitely play um, play for Atletico, like if you're a professional footballer. Yeah, I'd probably be their seeker in Quidditch. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I totally agree. Like Atletico would definitely be like the real life Slytherin. Um, they're just mad bastards. To be quite honest, and their manager is is the guy that kind of um, brings that energy to the team. Um, I and regard regarding the penalty, like uh, that he's so raging about, I've I've seen it back multiple times. There is definitely is a touch in the guy's back, but he throws himself to the ground. It is noticeable when you watch the replay; he is throwing uh-huh. himself to the ground. Now it's rare that you see these overturned. I think that's what was so shocking. I think if it wasn't given in the first place, it maybe wouldn't have been such a about it. But for me, he throws himself to the ground. Liverpool's won the Stonewall penalty, and that's uh, that sounds like really... Liverpool's is a definite penalty. I think we're... And obviously, Atletico got the momentum, and then the red card arguably changed the game. And another thing that changed the game... Nadi Kaida, although he scored an absolute belter, he was playing on the right side of midfield three. He was offering absolutely no protection. Both goals you could probably attribute to his defensive failings, which have absolutely littered his Liverpool career. I don't trust him defensively at all. He can carry the ball superbly. He can pick a pass. He scores the odd goal. But in a midfield three, there's just not enough protection for him. And the fact that he was hooked at half time, which isn't the first time that's happened, shows that Klopp doesn't trust him either. 
there's absolutely no chance in hell he's going to be playing on the right side of a midfield three against United at the weekend because he would get destroyed. You're going to see Henderson play there and Fabinho back in the six because um, you just you just can't trust him at all. But uh, yeah, has arguably been arguably sorry been his best season so far for Liverpool. You know, um, pretty much staying injury free. Um, and he's obviously got a few goals, a few assists. He scored a cracker. Um, it was him. It was him who scored on Tuesday in absolute belter of a volley. Oh yeah, um, a great, great goal. Um, in terms of of the Klopp and Simeone disrespect and whatever, uh, Brenton, well I believe it was Brenton anyway, put up on our Babel Twitter page. Um, pretty much what we were going to talk about tonight on TNB, and we had a guy now. From what I can see from his Twitter bio, he seems to be Welsh. Um, now, he commented on Simeone and the club situation and blah, blah, blah. Now, I'll read out a snippet of what he's put here because, to be quite honest, I don't understand what he's saying. Whether he's talking Welsh or whatever, I don't know. They talk a lot of shit anyway. Um, it's pretty much he said, <laughs> hashtag no class Simeone is a, a gra or grass, or hashtag man beauty. Um, he's a poster boy for... You know, I can't even pronounce that, so I'm not even going to try. Basically, he said he could only be more of a CNT if he had only gone to Solskjaer's job Man United or whatever the fuck he said. Simeone is unfit to tie Jurgen Klopp's shoelaces, let alone shake his hand. What a prize turd. Um, now, I have no idea who this guy is. He's never popped up on the bottle before, so you know, I think maybe the hashtags caught his attention. Um Clearly not a happy fellow. Uh, I, I don't really know. I haven't really followed on Twitter this week whether or not that was kind of highlighted uh, with Liverpool fans or in the media over here. The fact that Simeone didn't shake Klopp's hand. I mean, personally, whatever. It, it wouldn't really bother me if somebody didn't shake my hand at the end of the game. It's. I think it's become a bit of a... It's like an unofficial tradition in the fact that... Manager shake hands in the game is what it is seen as sign of respect, but I mean I don't think they have to do it. It's just it's just been something that people have done. Um, but like yeah, like whatever. Like if people want to get annoyed about it, that's 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 their choice, I suppose. Like, but I think it's stupid. It's just it's just probably Simeone's pissed off the fact that you know he's lost a, another game in the Champions League and. He's probably went into had to go dressing room and went absolutely berserk and kicked every fucking you know chair over or whatever. But anyway, um, I think something that has came out of the shadows this week, as I said earlier, it's been lurking in the background, and I think we kind of just need to give it a wee bit of a bit of a chat tonight. Is the Super League? Um, I think it was a German. Media outlet, maybe it was. I think Steve Chanton had has announced that the Super League has been looked at again and been revised. Uh, from what I've read about it, it seems to be a bit of a Champions League format. So I'll kind of read out some of the criteria here for it. So basically, there's no permanent members this time. Clubs qualify on domestic performance, similar to the Champions League, and there'll be 20 clubs. I think there's. 32 in the Champions League, if I'm correct, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and with that, there'll also be like a second division, I suppose a Europa League, that'll have another 20 teams. Um, it just seems like it's another version of the Champions League, 
Um, we don't know when this will be officially announced or if it will be or if this is the format that it will come out in. But me and Phil had chatted about the Super League on Thursday Night Babel before and we both agree and I'm, I'm assuming all the lads in the Babel agree that the Super League will return at some stage um, and it probably will go ahead eventually at some stage. I think it's just all the clubs trying to get more control over finances. I really can't see any other reason for it. And if it is true, this is what's going to be coming out, no permanent members. I mean, there's probably just going to be 20 teams, 20 of the top teams. Now, I'd say this is going to include all the leagues across Europe. Whether that's true or not is yet to be seen because I doubt they're going to want the, I don't know, they'll want all the best teams. They're not going to want teams from, I suppose, the not-so-high-profile European leagues. But, Pat, I don't know if you've seen anything about this so-called rejuvenated Super League or read anything about it, but what are your thoughts on that to hear about that, that, you know, there's no permanent members, you're going to qualify basically the way you do for the Champions League, there are only 20 teams, and, you know, I, I imagine this Super League will be announced at some stage this season again. You know, it was only six months ago, I think, that you know, our clubs had signed off to join the so-called Super League. So what what are your what are your feelings or what's your reaction to the the new Super League? Yeah, they're clearly just trying to sneak it in uh, at, a, at a skies version of it and, and pacify people by, by saying that it'll be, you know, you can play your way into it rather than it being a kind of closed shop. They're trying to allay everyone's fears, but in reality... This is probably driven by a few of the superpowers in other countries falling on hard financial times. If if I was a, a, a leading figure at any of the top six in England, I would stay as far clear from this as possible. England is where all the money is at the minute. You know, Leverkusen, see the Leverkusen CEO came out today, article in The Guardian, basically saying that, you know, England have a bit of a monopoly. We're all selling their players to England. You know, uh, the spending power in Premier League is too much. You know the TV deals are too much. England, England have it made at the minute, and for them to risk that again by going going for any kind of Super League would be would be really really foolish. I think. Like even when you see the strength of Premier League, I'm just comparing it to like see when we were growing up in Brazil and Argentina, international teams and their players were lettered full of obviously players who played in Spain, players who played in Italy. It would actually be rare enough to have a Premier League player playing in one of those teams 15, 20 years ago. Like now you've got players who play for Aston Villa and Leeds in the South American international, the, the big two in South America. You know, you've got, got yeah. like Doug, Douglas Luiz, Martinez, Buendia, you know, Villa players playing for Brazil and Argentina. You've got Rafinha, Richarlison, Leeds and Everton players. That shows how far the Premier League has come, that even small teams have players playing for the best international clubs or best international uh, squads. So, you know, I wouldn't be for a change to the Champions League. Uh, you're right in saying it's 32 teams, but part of the kind of joy this year has been like, you know, there have been surprises. You know, like Sheriff, a team from Moldova, have gone and, and won a couple of games, including beating Real Madrid at the Bernabeu. Like, that's cool. Um, you know, uh, Benfica, I know Barcelona have fallen hard times, but Benfica went and spanked Barcelona and you know, young boys beating United. These things are these things are exciting. We don't want to see roughly the same twenty clubs all the time. It's and and the the Champions League probably does have the same twenty clubs in it, but there's twelve others who kind of come in and dip out, and you know, it makes it a bit more exciting. Mm-hmm. So I I would be all about keeping it keeping the Champions League 
as it is, like it's been tinkered with in the past for a while, kind of early 2000s, it was, there were two group stages, which was complete dog shit. I think it was hit on like a really good format of, yeah. of, of group stages, um, you know, and, and it's pretty competitive. Like I was listening to another podcast earlier in the week and they were talking about how the seating for the group stages has enhanced it so much in that, you know, it's the sort of holders of the Champions League, holders of Europa League, and then the winner of each of the six kind of top coefficient leagues. So you're not getting three Spanish teams as top seeds, you know, yeah. four English teams as top seeds. They're all dotted around, and it makes for a more competitive uh, Champions League. Like, look at Liverpool's group. Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, AFC Milan and Porto, really, really competitive group. And, and that's kind of, you know, throughout a lot of the groups, there, there are real kind of groups of death. So, you know, I wouldn't be for changing it. It's clearly just Barcelona, Juventus, um, probably the Milan clubs and Real Madrid looking for a way to, you know, hop on the gravy train that England are on um, and try and sort out their financial issues because, you know, it's clear, we've talked about it many times, especially the big two in Spain are like a billion pound um, in the red. So, you know, they need they need something revolutionary to, uh, to take them out of this hole. Otherwise, you're looking at kind of a period, like that decade period when it was just Real Madrid and Barcelona winning Champions League and Atletico and Sevilla winning Europa League. It's probably going to be English clubs for, from now until the foreseeable future really competing in the finals and potentially winning the top European competitions. Um, it's hard to see a challenger to that. You could argue PSG, who we might talk about in a wee minute, you could argue Bayern Munich are still doing fantastically well, but you know England are strong. Um, so you know, if I was CEO or owner of any of those English clubs, I'd be probably trying to distance myself early from it all. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's like you even mentioned there about Aston Villa have, you know, three Argentinian internationals. You know, the English clubs now, majority of them have billionaire owners. We've chatted about it on the Battle there the last week. Um, like Aston Villa, Wolves, um, I think even Southampton have a billionaire owner. You know, it's it's all it's all crazy. The, all these teams, when you really look into it, you know, most of these Premier League clubs are backed very very well, and that's why they're able to compete at a very high standard. And in a way, like, does it devalue the Champions League in a way that it is going to be just dominated by English teams? You know, so so many top teams now. You know, ten years ago, it would have been you would have had your three, four teams at the top that would have been challenging for the league and then it would have been the rest. And, you know, you would have had a game on a Sunday against the likes of, and no disrespect to these teams, or the likes of Blackburn or Southampton or whatever, where you kind of knew, yeah, we're going to win here by a couple of goals and get three points and we're going to have a nice weekend. Personally, I go into games now, and because Arsenal are, you know, they're nowhere near the standard they were. Um, I suppose even some of the teams like the likes of your Liverpools and Chelsea's, you know, we're going in the games now thinking, this could be tough, you know, when you're playing the next year, Aston Villas, or, you know, when Wolves run form under Nuno, um, obviously he's a Spurs now, but I mean before under Nuno, you know, you knew that you're, you're in for a game, and it, it, it is a wee bit disheartening seeing, you know, especially the Premier League going that way, but um, I suppose with, with the Super League and, you know, the whole money aspect, PSG, so I want to just chat about them just briefly, but PSG, obviously, you know, they're owned by a nascent state. We've chatted a lot about, you know, teams in football now, the likes of your cities, PSG and, and Newcastle, which we'll talk about 
in, in a couple of minutes. PSG have spent um, some money, but this summer they kind of got a lot of good free transfers, I suppose. But they are paying a lot of wages. You could you could argue they have a bit of a dream team there at the moment. I mean, they've world class in every position. They have one of the probably the greatest player in the world to ever play the game in, in Lionel Messi. Pochettino has come into PSG and, I mean, he's really struggled. The fact that he didn't even win the French League last year, he's got some really top talent in Mbappe, Neymar, you know, he's got Sergio Ramos there now, you know, tons of experience, you know, knows how to win games, knows how to win the big trophies. But it seems like Poch can't handle all these personalities and I don't know, I kind of feel like it's inevitable that Poch is going to get the boot. You know, he seems to be under serious pressure. Like, every game is massive pressure for Poch. And it seems more that you have Neymar and Messi there who are probably running that team more so than Poch. You know, such big personalities. And I don't envy him at all. Like, I wouldn't want to be in that position. You know, managing that team with that many big personalities. Like, people talk about it and say, oh, I'm on a PSG in FIFA this year and it's going to be great and they're going to win everything. But, you can have all these great players, great individuals, but if they don't play a great together as a team, they're going to win fuck all. And I kind of feel like that's the situation with, with PSG this year. And I just I just think it's inevitable that Potts is going to get the sack. I mean, you look at that team on paper, like, what a team. Like, I mean, it literally is the definition of a dream team. It's fantastic. But I don't, I don't know, Pat, have you been keeping an eye on PSG this year or not? I've just been keeping on. A wee eye on them, I suppose, because Messi's there now, because of you have Ramos and all there now. But what what do you think um, is going to happen with Poch and PSG? Like, I I personally can't see them win the Champions League. Can you? I I, I think they have the as you alluded to, they have the squad too. I don't know if they will. Um, they've been a little bit unconvincing um, in the Champions League so far this season. Um, you know, then the draw against Bruges, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And then they obviously, you know, uh, came back to win last night against Leipzig. And, you know, they're, they're flying in the league. I know they didn't win the league last year. Lille had just a, you know, a fantastic season. But they're going to win it this year. PSG, they've, they've only, uh, dropped, I think, I think they've won nine and drawn one or something so far this season. Like they're, they're going to walk it. I think they're nine points clear already. They're going to be fine. Um, but basically, I think if, if, if Posh doesn't win the Champions League, they get sacked. I think that'll be that'll be that for him. Uh, I'm trying to knit all these players together, a bit like United trying to knit all those four players together. It's tough, and you know egos are big. Like Messi, as you mentioned, he basically he basically ran Barcelona for for a decade. You know he was making decisions on who the manager should be. He was consulted about signings. He was everything there. Like he was pandered to. He was more than a player at more than a club and. Like he was just the complete king of Catalonia, and you know he he is the best player to ever play the game. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Are they the best foil for him? Mbappe and Neymar. Who knows? I don't think anything will ever be as good as that sort of uh, link up that he had with with Suarez and Neymar, or the link up that he had at different times with the likes of Pedro and, and Henri and, and these kind of players. But P- PSG. Have known, been known to bottle it in Europe now for five years. Um, like going right back to whenever Barcelona ended up absolutely thumping them whenever 
I think the Barcelona come back and beat them 6-1 after I think PSG beat them 4-0 in the first leg. Something crazy anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they have no real, I know they've made a final, but with no real European pedigree. Um, I think they'll struggle. And Poch, Poch seems like a really nice guy. He, he, he cultivated a great kind of squad at, at Spurs on a smallish budget in Premier League terms. And he kind of has this cuddly, lovely approach, but maybe that's not what these players need. Maybe they need someone more recognisable. Like Ancelotti seems to go into big clubs and, and really demand respect. Conte would go into PSG, and I would fear if Conte got that job with basically unlimited funds because I would fancy him doing the Champions League for them. So Poch will be under serious, serious pressure. And uh, I think, I think you know, if it's not ending with big ears this year, he'll be he'll be gone and probably back at Spurs. Mm. Yeah, in my opinion, he, he just seems like an average manager who does well with average players, and that's why he don't want bit about PSG there because I think it's quite interesting what's going on in Paris this year. Um, it's it's quite obvious they've brought together that team to try and win the Champions League and to be honest, it really should get get far in the tournament, but whether they do or not is is a different matter. Um Pat, you have not been on since Newcastle got taken over. Um I'm gonna give you the opportunity here to have kind of your say on what you think of the situation. Um and I don't really think it's come to surprise that Steve Bruce got the sack this week or left. I don't really know. Uh what happened to Cabbage Head? Um I know that one tickled the jellies of, of Phil for about an hour yesterday. Um, I love that. Um, what what do you think? Do you think Newcastle are going to be a bit like City? You know, in a couple of years' time, they'll probably win the Premier League and be in the Champions League or, or Super League, whatever the hell it'll be at that stage. Um, it's it's you know, there's a different feeling now on down the tune. Um, what what do you think of it all? It's been interesting a couple of weeks for 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 the for Newcastle fans and for the Premier League in general. I know, like you all touched on it in the pod, and I'm not going to go into the whole kind of Saudi Arabian stuff and all the controversy with that because I won't talk about it half as eloquently as as uh, Steve and Phil and all you guys already have. Um, you know, it's clear that anyone with any kind of moral compass would be against some of the acts that the you know these people that are now owning Newcastle have committed over the over the years um, and the kind of wider societal issues in Saudi Arabia and how they treat certain groups of people are very very wrong. But I suppose purely on a football point of view, I'll focus on, um, yeah, like if you have unlimited funds, like I would fancy you and I to go in and be um, co-managers and win the league because it's all about building it because, you know, Newcastle are starting at a low base. Newcastle are absolutely shit this season. Like every time I look at their squad, every Saturday or Sunday and I get up the teams, I'm just like, that's a championship team. Like it's poor. Um Callum Wilson and, and some Maximan can, can play a bit of ball, but see their defence in midfield, it's weak. Um, and unless they get some reinforcements and a bit of a new manager bounce, you know they'll really struggle. Um, so <clears throat> obviously, if they get relegated, they're going to come back pretty quickly. It's just going to delay the inevitable. Obviously, they'll want to stay in the league and, and start building from now. And I was reading an interesting thing today suggesting players at Newcastle should go for. Um, which was quite an interesting ploy. They were saying, you know, you can't go in and sign 50, 60 million pound players right now and get players from the top European clubs. They're not going to want to come. You need to do what the likes of City did. You know, during that first kind of wave of money, you know, they brought in the likes of De Jong and company and, 
you know, players who were were young and hungry, um, they didn't just go out and start signing the likes of, um, you know, all your your Silvas and Agueros and spending sixty million on Marias and Sterling and hundred million Greenish and all this kind of stuff. You need to build it. So this article is suggesting that Newcastle would be would be wise to sort their defence out. And if you can do that while weakening rivals, you know, go sign Max Arms from Newcastle, go sign James Tarkowski from Burnley, um, you know, go sign Conor Gallagher from Crystal Palace. Players who are good enough to keep you up, good enough to hang around and be part of your squad while you build. Long enough. Um, so yeah, New- Newcastle will. It's not going to happen in the next three years. They're not going to qualify for the Champions League in the next three years. They might even qualify for the Champions League in the next five years. But I'd say if we're sitting here in 2031. They'll have won the league a couple of times. You would like, you would imagine, because no one can compete with those finances. Um, so you know, it's it, it's weird. It's it's the injection of another superpower into an already pretty crowded um, place. You know, you have four Champions League spots. You have six kind of mega clubs in England as it stands. Probably, you know, you could argue how big Everton are, and they're they're obviously building a new stadium as well. There are going to be a lot of big teams missing out in Champions League football. And you see, you know, from my point of view, from, from Liverpool missing out for quite a number of years, um, you see the effect that even missing out in one or two Champions Leagues has to your finances, has to your pulling power. You know, and like you're in the middle of it right now. Arsenal have been in Champions League and w- when was the last season? 2016-ish or mm-hmm. yeah, thanks around so. then? You know, it, it's a hard cycle to break. So if you're, you're injecting Newcastle in this the next few years, Who's going to be missing out? Is it going to be Liverpool? Is it going to be going to be Chelsea? You know, it's going to be tough. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Steve Bruce was always going to get sacked, and Steve Bruce seems like one of the actually nicest guys. Like he comes across so well, and everyone speaks so highly about him. And he was coaching his his boyhood club, and he's kind of treated like shit. And you know, hopefully, he either goes back into management in a nicer job, or we see him a bit around the media or something. But you know, they're looking to appoint someone sexier, you know, and Steve Bruce is not sexy in, in a football <laughs> way or 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 or, or, or in Luke. So they're looking yeah. they're looking at the hot new thing and they're looking at Paulo Fonseca who might carry them for a few years and then and then they'll just go and, you know, go get Nagelsmann, go go get Guardiola, go go get the, the next best thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll be an interesting interesting journey for, for Newcastle fans over the next few while. Um they're always a club I kind of liked. I kind of liked they were one club city. Yeah. I've been to St. James's Park. It's right in the middle of town. Geordies are sound as pounds and, you know, they always had a real charm about them. It's going to be a lot harder whenever they start throwing money at them to, to still have any kind of soft spot for them. That's not their fans' fault, but, you know, city used to be cuddly and play at Main Road and get relegated and come back up and have Georgie Kincladze and Sean Goder and all these guys. But now they've turned into the most evil kind of invention that's ever been created with all these weird arms all over the world just trying to take it over and Pep Guardiola at the helm who I just really really grits on me all the time so they're just going to be another city and um, that's going to sadden me a lot yeah yeah it'll be quite interesting to see who's going to be their Rubinho I suppose you know that big headline signing is going to be the first one um, and, and you're right like if you can remember City in those early years of being taken over by um, whoever the hell their owner is, can't remember his name. You know they they competed with the Spurs for the top four. You remember Spurs actually went to the Etihad and I think they beat them was 
2-1 or 3-1 or something. Peter Crouch scored. And yeah, that, yeah. That, that put them into the Champions League ahead of City. So, yeah, it'll not all be, be smooth sailing for Newcastle, no, no matter how much money they have. And, yeah, no one's going to want to go to Newcastle at the moment. Like, you're not going to get an Mbappe there because he's not going to want to go and play at the bottom of the fucking Premier League or potentially the Championship. So, yeah, I think you're right there. Conor Gallagher is a very good shout. He was very impressive on Monday night against Arsenal. Um, seems like a very good player. Max Arms as well. Max Arms could definitely play for a top five team because Tottenham aren't a big six team, so they can go fuck themselves. Um, he could definitely play up at that level. There's no doubt. Like that would be, they'd be very smart signings for for Newcastle. Like I don't know if I even said it on the pod, but I said to my mate that I think Raheem Sterling would probably be a, a smart signing for Newcastle. The fact that he seems to be kind of on his way out of City, just from what I've, what I've heard, um, he's not getting used as much. And, you know, he, he scores goals in the Premier League. He'd, he'd be useful for, for a club like Newcastle. Um, but who, who do you think is, is going to replace Steve Brewster uh, on Tyneside? Like, I haven't even looked at who the bookies are, are favouring to take over there, but I imagine it, it will be someone, you know, in the category of, like, an Eddie Howe or, you know, at that level, you know, you're not going to get your... I think Mourinho actually ruled himself out of it, but let's be honest, like he probably will be there at some stage because Mourinho kind of goes where the money is. Um, but yeah, it'll not be the likes of a Pep Guardiola or something. It will be somebody more mid-level that probably will win Newcastle. Um, my mate to Sports Newcastle said that there was chat of Rafa, but I think it will be very tough to take Rafa away from Everton right now, especially when he's, he seems to be building a bit of a project there. But I don't know. You did mention someone there you thought might take over at Newcastle. Do you, do you think that's potentially who they're going to get in? Apparently, they've been talking to Fonseca, and you know he's pretty short odds. As you as you said, they've mentioned Eddie Howe has been mentioned, Lucien Favre has been been mentioned. Um, you know Lampard, Gerrard, these kind of these kind of guys. The, the odds have kind of been tumbling on Fonseca, and um, you know he's a decent pedigree, did a good job. Um, in Ukraine with Shakhtar and then had a couple of decent seasons decent-ish seasons at Roma he, he, he it sounds like it might be him I know Spurs very nearly appointed him um, he was one of probably about 15 people that Spurs interviewed and very nearly appointed but um, it's kind of looking like it might be him um, you know it's, it sounds very you sort of hear all these in quotation marks proper football men speak on talk sport and Five Lives saying about how you know you need to know the division and um, you know this guy will be coming in not knowing and they'd be better getting in the likes of Allardyce or you know Eddie Howe or someone who knows the division. But it looks like it might be this guy. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how he does. He's going to have a hard job because he's going to need to polish a lot of shit in that Newcastle team, like um, because they're really not up. To, they're not up to the mark at all. Uh, I still I think they still actually haven't won a game this season. I don't know if. I'm, 100% right in saying that. I think you are, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the boys got work to do. Um, and, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Like, like Norwich look completely terrible. Like, Norwich, um, you know, are struggling to even score a goal. Um, well, there was quite a few teams that are struggling to score goals this season. But, uh, like, Norwich, I think, I've actually got it up now. Norwich have scored two goals all season. Like in eight games, so like Nor- Norwich are screwed, um, and then like the, the likes of the likes of Watford and, and and Burnley can easily get sucked back into that too. So we'll uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens. Oh, Doggo, Doggo's not happy. 
my, <laughs> my brother's just walked into the house and the, the dog's away, kind of. Your, your, your brother is so inconsiderate that Thursday Night Babel is currently recording. Um, I actually have my um, pal, Spud, lying beside me, and he will oh. like, go, go mental in about five minutes whenever um, Teresa walks back into the house. But till that time. Um, so, yeah, New, Newcastle, I, I'm not really fear Newcastle at the moment. Um, I think it'll be a couple of years before there's any sort of trouble for, for anybody, especially even the likes of Arsenal. Um, they have a lot of work to do there. And... And speaking of the devil, Trace just walked in the door. No, no joke. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to have to close the door here before the dog starts going berserk. Um, yeah, my my dog's just just settled now. I won't take her into the next room. Um, uh, uh, apo- apologies for that, folks. For anyone listening. Um, yeah. So just just writing up in Newcastle anyway. So yeah, they have a lot of work to do. I I was looking through photos of my visit to St James's Park there recently and. You're you're right. It's, it's an incredible football stadium. Um, the city's brilliant. The Geordies are are nice people. They're mad about that club. Um, and yeah, like see, to be honest, like I don't like the whole ownership and Saudi Arabian ownership, but you know it, it'll be interesting to kind of see what what happens there. So, um, we'll we'll just have to watch as it, as it as it happens. It it might be a season in the championship for Newcastle and. We will see if their owners stick with them while they're down there. I'm sure they will. Like, but it'll just be interesting to see what what happens in Newcastle. Anyway, um, we'll finish up, pass on your first Thursday night babble by talking a little bit of any other babble. Now, it's actually actually quite good you're on this week because I actually want to talk about my return to a live sporting event, which was last Friday, as you know. Uh, and as someone who actually has been to a live sporting event. Since the whole pandemic kicked off, you've been to a Northern Ireland game, I believe. Um, I mean, being back at, like, I went to Dulcester Rugby last Friday night um, to watch them play the Embers Lands from South Africa, and it was just, it was just surreal to be back in, you know, a sporting stadium, watching live sports, you know, having beers, well, stout before the game, uh, getting into the ground. Having some more stout, uh, <laughs> standing and hey, well, we we stand in, in the West Terrace at Ulster and just chatting to people like I haven't seen in in a year or two. Like you know, it's it's mad. Um, just seeing the players warm up, like you know, a couple of a couple of meters ahead of us. It's just it was just great to kind of be back there again. And um, I there, but. You know, I'm quite grateful that I kind of came through all that experience, like, without contracting COVID or anything. You know, I felt very safe at the game, you know, especially being outside. I, I didn't really worry the entire time I was there. Now, when we walked up to the terrace, and I don't know if this happened that, um, when you were at Windsor Park, but, I mean, when I was going through the terrace, I didn't realise that we had to put on our mask, put on our mask when we were outside. So before we even got into the ground, a steer come over and goes, lads, put on your mask. And I was like, no bother, I will do. That's not a problem. Like, I didn't realise. And I thought that that was just like, right, okay, they're taking it serious. Like, they don't want to go back to, you know, a situation where fans can't come back into, into grounds. And hopefully that isn't the case. Hopefully we will still be able to, to go to games. Um, and, and I do believe we will. I don't think we're kind of going to go back to that sort of, you know, people aren't allowed to go to games. You know, they're going to close all hospitality. I, I really can't see that happening. Um, Hopefully it won't happen. But, I mean, 
in terms of your experience going back to live sport, Pat, like, I mean, it must have been great for you getting back to watch Northern Ireland again, you know, after being away for so long. Like, even though Northern Ireland haven't probably been, you know, great to watch or anywhere near the same way they were a couple of years ago under um under Big Mike. But like what 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 was your experience like when you went to Windsor Park? But I think actually when you went things weren't really fully open at that stage, were they? Yeah, I suppose I think that was the the first time that, that kinda of opened Windsor Park. Um I think it was nearly full. I think it was maybe maybe one or two thousand seats kept kept free to sort of distance people from the players. It might have been similar enough at uh, at Ravenhill, I don't know. But, um, yeah, like I, I remember saying on the pod, I actually felt a bit emotional being back at a game because, like, um, you know, some people are really into the cinema, some people are really into going to gigs. I'm just really into going to any kind of sport I can find, wherever it may be. And just to be back at sport, um, you know, somewhere I used to go with, with my dad, I just found it quite emotional. And it was it was brilliant after quite a, you know, a difficult year and a half for everyone. Um mm-hmm. And I just love being back. I was actually away in Portugal last week with family and I got the game over there and like it's kind of something that I would have done for, for years is any city I'm in to sort of try and find a game and um, even to be on holiday was lovely and to find a game on holiday and be able to go to it was, was great. Got to see um, Bellinance against Sporting Lisbon in the Portuguese Cup and it was just, it was just lovely. Um, so like yeah, those things those things are great, and especially if you're used to going to Ulster games and and you haven't been able to do it for the best part of two years, like I'm sure that was just a real a real treat for you, like especially for Ulster to, to put on a bit of a show and 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 pick up another bonus point win as well, it must have been great. Yeah, I mean, we 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 take these things for granted. We did take these things for granted. Um, hopefully, you know, especially our generation and and. People maybe just slightly younger than us will remember this, you know, till the day that we're we're gone. That you know, sometimes in the future we might be like, ugh, you know, come a ball going out or come a ball going to the game or whatever. We just kind of have to remember that that eighteen months where we couldn't go to games and we couldn't go out and how tough that really was and how much we really do miss it. And I suppose it it's just it's just that that thing, you know, when something's taken away from us, it's going to really miss it the most. It was just really nice to be back. Um, I, I suppose maybe the the next sort of plan is maybe try and get to an Ireland game again. Um, there there is the possibility that might happen. Um, there's no chance I'm getting to New Zealand. By the way, uh, that was officially confirmed this week. No go, no New Zealand tickets, which is oh. quite sad. But um, I'll watch it in the pub. So that's the next best thing, which we can do now, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's just just great to get back and watch watch a bit of rugby, watch a bit of live sport. Um, I I don't think I'd go back to Arsenal just yet, not not because of the fact that they're shit, but <laughs> I mean, um, it's a lot of money to spend to get over there to watch Arsenal at the minute and with the web and stuff to pay for. It's just like it's just asking a lot. But um, yeah, great to be back at live sport. Um, if anyone is a bit hesitant about going, well. To Ulster rugby, if you did go before and you just listened to this, you know, I, I would say that you'd be safe. Now, you obviously can't guarantee anyone's safety, but I felt safe. Um, they, they had controls in place, you know, people were wearing masks. Now, granted, people weren't wearing masks outside, but you know what? There wasn't really anybody standing around me, you know, there was a good distance between me and, and the people in the West Tower, so I, I felt completely fine and have done all week, so thankfully it, it went well. Um, 
one other thing I just want to touch on before we finish up, Pat, is I don't know if you've got yours yet or it's been approved, but your high street voucher for the hundred pound to spend local. Um, I got an email last night to say I've been denied. Now, I see on the news today there's about a hundred thousand people that have got the same email. Uh, have you got your voucher yet, or like what is the crack? Uh, I've I've applied for mine, but I haven't heard anything back yet. Um, but the fact that hundred thousand people got that in a country of less than two million people, of which a portion are are going to be babies and weren't applying, um, sounds like a major cock up. <laughs> did Did you check so, your junk mail? I didn't actually. Maybe you should. I'll do that now. So should we Should we have a a live reaction a la- here when Pat checks his junk mail? Because that's where my answer. That go under spam. Um, no, of nothing yet. Oh. Nothing yet. Although I maybe I only applied last week. Maybe unless my mind just isn't processed yet. Hmm. No, no, that, that's probably what it is. To be honest, we we applied over two weeks ago, and I haven't heard anything. Now I know they say when you apply, don't contact us. You know we've like over a million people in the process, but like from what I've read, it's like an automated system. You know they're not even doing anything. So I was like, fuck this, I'm emailing them. So I did. I emailed them. And I was like, yo, what's going on? Like, I friggin' put my application in, like, over two weeks ago. And there's people that I work with that put their application in, like, last Sunday and heard back by, like, Thursday. And I was like, that's just weird. Like, I haven't heard anything. Like, there must be something up. So I actually did get a reply from them before yesterday. And they just said, no, your application's still there. It's going through all the checks. If we need anything, we'll contact you. And I was like, right, that's grand. And then, no joke, boom, next day, you've been denied. Um, seems like a lot of people has happened to, uh, it happened to Teresa as well. It's happened to Teresa's mom, Teresa's brother. <laughs> like, the whole, the whole family seemed to hit with this bus. Um, we've, we've sent in our evidence and hopefully we'll get our £100 to spend local. I don't know what you plan to spend yours on, but to be quite honest, I think I'm going to spend mine down the pub. Um, <laughs> A lot of people have talked about different things, and we actually got an email and work today about spending your voucher locally, uh, support local business, and yeah, like definitely do that if you can. You know, spend spend it wherever you want. It's it's your voucher, I suppose. You know, it's it's not your fault the government decided to give you a hundred pounds and spend whatever the fuck you want. So do whatever you want with it. I'm definitely going to spend mine in the pub. I think. Um, have a good day out. Have a bit of a feed. Um, which. Yeah, it's supporting those businesses that probably were affected the most over COVID. So that that's what I'll be doing with mine. And I really can't wait to get it. And I'll probably get it in time for Ireland playing New Zealand. So that could tie in very well. My my birthday is in a couple of weeks. So looking forward to that, Pat. Um, I think that'll do us for this week. Pat, you've had your, your TNB uh, cherry popped, as you said. Um, you had your, your beer, which is a sensitive criteria for being on TMB. Even if Phil does have an alcohol-free one, I'll let him away with it. He's still drinking a beer. That's fine. Um, guys, catch us on all our social media at the Football Babble, even though it really is Sports Babble. And I know Brenton's probably going to black that out, but whatever. Do what you want. <laughs> um, Pat, do the Patreon for us. Go on ahead. And let's see if you did it last week, so you can do it this week. Oof, I've never done this. This is another another cherry going. Are you feeling the um, I really am because I don't know if I know it. Uh, it is patreon.com forward slash football babble. Boom. There you go. Steve couldn't do it right <laughs> last week, so well done, Pat. 
Uh, uh, I, yes, I, I said it like it should have a question mark at the end of it because I went up on Babel. Yeah, well, to be fair, um, you, you never have to do it, so it is a lot of pressure, I understand. <laughs> Phil always makes me do it, so that's one of the reasons why I know it. Um, yeah, folks, like Phil always says, uh, it's only a pound a month. Um, you know, give anything you can. It, it helps us out. You know, we can produce better content. And, you know, you'll probably get to hear more of me, which is exactly what you want. Um, so we, we will back on, I think it's Sunday. You know, we, we have been trying to work out a Sunday or a Monday. Um, they've done it Monday this week. They've done a Sunday the week before. So I really don't know when we'll be back. Um, I'm sure Pat will be back at some stage. I don't know if he'll be back on the Sunday or Monday show, whichever day it'll be, but he'll be back. Once Pat, you'll be back at some stage. Maybe back on OTMB. Yeah, I think I can do, I can do Monday. If, if we're Monday this week, I might see you soon. Oh, there you go. So that's it. It'll be on Monday. Um, hopefully Liverpool get a win for you and Phil. Uh, Hopefully Chelsea get host for Brenton and the same for United. And hopefully the Arsenal get a win tomorrow night. So we'll chat to you next time. Good luck.